so great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to be empowered with knowledge so that you can keep more of what you make, or if you got no paycheck coming in, stretch every dollar you still have. The hardworking teams at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com are doing what they can to assist you with stretching every dollar. Now, I want to tell you something that's going to make you think that this is an April Fool's joke in mid-April, but it's actually true that the two arch enemies of the modern technology era are marrying their efforts to try to help with coronavirus relief, and that is Apple and Google have gotten together, done a joint release on what they're doing, and they have an effort where the Bluetooth built into iPhones and Androids is going to be used as a way of alerting you if someone that you have been near, even somebody you don't know, you've just been near them, tests positive for coronavirus. The setup that Apple and Google are designing has no contact tracing. In other words, they're not reporting, collecting any data on who you are or anything like that for this effort. Um, And what's really neat is that if I test positive and I report that to Google and Apple, what happens is they'll then notify people that they were, in fact, in close contact, close enough that Bluetooth would register to someone who's tested positive. This is a wonderful step forward because one of the hardest things we have is to know when we're around someone who was symptomless but could spread the virus and we become an unknowing carrier that could infect those we love or those we're around. So this is really, really a smart thing because as we ramp up the ability to test around the country, for people to know early that they, in fact, may have been exposed can save a lot of infections and prevent a lot of deaths in the United States. Now, there's a second effort going on, and this one involves 911 calls as a way to track outbreaks before they're normally really obvious in a particular area. You think about the way 911 systems work around the country. A number of cities, according to the Wall Street Journal, are using this technology where they're able to immediately and in an automated way map where calls are coming from that involve somebody having a health problem with coronavirus. So they can see very, very quickly a pattern. It's using the broken windows theory of law enforcement as a way to track early where special effort needs to be made because of an outbreak of coronavirus. And this is something that shows that technology is not going to directly solve coronavirus, but it's going to help us limit how much harm happens to our fellow Americans from the coronavirus. And as far as science, 
I am a strong believer that science, uh, pharmacological remedies, medicine are going to come together to come up in the interim with effective treatments before we even have a vaccine. And I know there are times people think that I'm Pollyanna, but this one is one that is going to happen and it's going to help our society so much. Now, let me tell you what we're doing right now. You post questions for me at clark.com slash ask. And then producers Kim and Joel alternate asking your questions for you. We're able to get to far more topics and far more questions than in our normal format. And that's why we're doing this. So, Kim, who do you have first? Well, today, actually, Clark, I wanted to start with something a little different. Some feedback from a listener named Terry, but... It is so honest and so kind that it makes me kind of emotional. So Joel's going to read it. All right, Clark, here we go. Yeah, so Jesse Ronan said, I listened to the Friday podcast today. I wanted to report that the mid-sized regional bank I work at has pulled over 300 employees from their regular jobs, including me, to help process SBA PPP loans. The process is all manual data entry, and the SBA webpage where the loan must be entered crashes all day. So we're working up to 12 hours a day and through the weekends to get loans processed, but the task is daunting. We have almost 30,000 applications and I can process 10 to 12 on a good day, but we're trying so hard because we know that every loan that gets entered means those small business employees get paid. Just wanted to tell the story from a different side and say that we know how important these loans are. I have a hard time stopping at night to go to bed knowing that if I stayed up, I could get one more loan entered. We know and we care. That is so, so kind. Now, uh, did the individual give the name of the bank? They did not. Okay. So this is really so heartwarming to hear. And I understand, Kim, why you had a hard time reading it. Because business owners, all they see is they're desperately trying to put in applications for the program. And then people got that really cold email from Wells Fargo who had applied there and had not yet been processed that wells has put them into some kind of forever queue and so to hear a real life situation of a bank taking 300 employees from different jobs and getting them into the the cycle of manually entering applications that in theory are supposed to link electronically seamlessly uh, but obviously is not happening is great to hear i should also mention that Uh, PayPal is now accepting applications for the Paycheck Protection Program. And I don't know if their system will work any better than what we've been having, like this problem with the bank employees having to manually enter every last thing because of a breakdown in the federal computer systems. And it's just been an absolutely atrocious rollout and failure on the part of the feds to execute both the idle loans and the PPP. And the consequence of this is a lot of Main Street businesses, small businesses, restaurants, um, hair salons, you name it, the kind of businesses that are so important in terms of employment in the United States and essentially quality of life in the United States. If they don't fix these problems, that the feds are having and processing loans, these businesses will not continue to exist. Kim? 
All right, Patricia says, Clark, you mentioned that car insurance companies are giving up to 20% back on our next auto insurance statement. I had already called my car insurance company a while ago based on a tip that I heard from your show, and I asked them to reduce my annual mileage. Will this new 20% reduction be on top of the savings that I've already received? Yes, it will be, but based on what your premium dollars are. This is a flat rate thing that each insurer, it actually ranges up to 25%, a lot doing 15%, some doing a flat rate of dollars, others doing 20%, 25%, some sending you a check or giving you a credit to your credit card, others giving you a credit on your next statement. Each major insurer is doing this differently. But even though you already went through the process I had recommended to reduce your overall premiums, I know of no reason why you don't come under the blanket decisions of the insurers to lower premiums, typically 15, 20, or 25%. Joel? Clark Richard wrote in and he says, I know that you've made sure that everyone is aware that if an airline cancels your flight, that you're entitled to a full cash refund. I was contacted recently by an airline that rescheduled me to a later flight. With everything going on, I've been able to find a similar flight on a different airline for less money, and it's an airline that I have status on if something goes wrong or if there's a delay. So does an airline have to offer a cash refund if they modify the schedule of the flight by a few hours? Yes. Yes. I mean, that's where, um, uh, led by United, who's been the worst offender with this, airlines have misbehaved because a significant schedule change which historically has been considered to be more than 120 minutes either way, is the equivalent of a cancellation, and you are due your money back in a refund. Be very polite when you talk to someone with the airline because they're under tremendous strain. But say that you were due a refund and you would like a refund, and if they say, no, we're not going to give you one, say, well, I'm going to file a complaint with the U.S. Department of Transportation that's tracking how many complaints they're getting on failure to provide refunds from each of the the airlines. And that may, in fact, shake the money tree loose. But I don't think you'll have to be um, that insistent. I think if you're just politely persistent in your phone call, you will get your refund. Kim? I'm going to follow up on that. There's been quite a few people who have written in wanting to know if their frequent flyer miles are safe. Frequent flyer miles are safe as long as our nine major airlines survive the basically the coronavirus shutdowns that they're all pretty much in. And with the special federal grants that were carved out specifically for the airlines with $50 billion, there's nothing right now that indicates that any of our nine airlines are likely to go into bankruptcy and cease to exist. Even if they go into bankruptcy, your miles will still be safe. It's only if an airline were to cease operations that your miles would disappear. Joel? Clark, this one's from AJ. He says, of course, it's a good time to be saving as much as I can, and I'm trying to reduce my expenses. So when is it a good idea to refinance a car loan? My credit improved since I purchased the car originally, and I've had it for about a year. It's a used car, and currently my interest rate is 9.5%. Where would you recommend I go to do this refi? Um, No doubt a credit union. 
And depending on how the credit union is handling uh, borrowers who can't pay right now, they may or may not have a freeze on making new car loans. But if you are not a member of a credit union, find one local to you. You can do that at cuna.org, cuna.org. There's a find a credit union button. And credit unions tend to write uh, vehicle loans at a significantly lower interest rate than banks do and much, much, much lower than car dealers do. So that would be the natural path to go do a refi on that vehicle loan. Kim? Matt says, Clark, I work for the United States Postal Service. It's been almost 19 years now. Is there any way that the post office will be going out of business? I keep hearing that this is possible maybe as soon as June, and I would really appreciate your two cents. So I'm sorry you're having to fear what might happen with the political football that the post office has become. And it is a problem because the post office volume has fallen off a cliff. And so the post office is losing billions a month now. It is a quasi-governmental institution with a lot of what it's required to do imposed by Congress, even if they're money-losing activities. And I don't see the Postal Service ceasing to exist There may be changes in how postal delivery work, but Congress will come to some agreement on how to fund the deficits that the Postal Service is suffering right now. It's time for our daily Clark Rave. It's where we have thrown out the clark Rageous moment, and in this time where a lot of the drumbeat of news is hard, we're doing something positive to share with you. Because there's so much good stuff going on in the midst of these hard moments. And I want to talk about, in the Clark Rave, all the stuff going on in medical that is so positive. And there's something I think is really neat. A lot of patients scared with what they're dealing with, with coronavirus. And a move has started around the country that started in California where hospital workers are posting a picture of themselves on their protective gear because people can't see, and it's kind of dehumanizing when you see a worker who's in protective gear from their head all the way to their feet, and hopefully those protective pieces of equipment are available at a medical center you work in if you're a medical worker. So they post a smiling picture of themselves, so that you see who's there treating you. Now, that is really, really smart. Second thing is I think it's fantastic, this thing that's happening in a number of places now where buildings are going blue at night as a thank you to medical workers and first responders. Because you think about it, What does this say about the basic altruism of so many of us that medical workers are putting themselves on the line every time they go in? They know they're treating people who have a potentially deadly illness, and they're going in anyway because that's what they signed up for when they studied medicine. And I think that 
says so much that is so wonderful. And, and then these efforts in a number of communities where people have like a nightly applause session for medical workers and the efforts to make sure that medical workers are taken care of with various facets of their lives because they're facing extra burdens with extra long shifts. And so this is a sign of the goodness of humanity in so many ways and the bravery of these medical workers and the first responders. Thank you to all of you. Wonderful to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where we learn together about ways that we can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip us off. Now, I talked just minutes ago about the brave healthcare workers going into battle coronavirus where they know exactly what they're going into. They are treating people who have it. And the level of danger of that is obvious. But then there's another area of workers that face an unknown threat that is far less severe, but it's there as well. And that's people that are working in the retail stores that are still extremely busy. And that's supermarkets, number one, and uh, general merchandise retailers like uh, Walmart and Target, and then the warehouse clubs, and then in addition, the pharmacies where you've got many cases ill people walking in, and as I shared with you before, a lot of them are really crowded. The supermarkets have been an area where people have been in close contact, many times too close a contact, and there have been reportedly somewhere around three dozen supermarket workers who have gotten ill and died from coronavirus. The numbers vary depending on which report, but the fact is it is an area where more of us are coming into contact with each other virtually than anywhere else. And so I was really distressed to hear that a lot of people as shoppers are losing their cool and screaming at supermarket workers that are there serving you and me when the grocery store doesn't have something you're looking for. You know, I saw a report, I don't remember the source, I saw a report two days ago that Walmart is selling enough toilet paper every five days to be a role for all 330 million Americans. That's how much people are still buying more toilet paper than they actually need in a lot of cases than current needs. And so we're creating these shortages in many cases by buying ahead. And then there are certain parts of the food production system that are actually having problems getting supply to people. Some of the meats, uh, if you eat pork, some of the pork supplies. But the reality is food is available in very large quantities, and it may not be exactly the items you want. You may have, like I've had, where you put in an order and this item isn't available and that one's not available and whatever. The other day, I mean, this is ridiculous that I'm even pointing this out, but 
I had uh, on a shopping thing, I had placed an order for butter. And no butter was available that day. And they asked if they could substitute with that kind of fake butter stuff. And basically margarine pretending to be butter. And I hate using it. It just doesn't taste good to me. But it's not a hardship. And so please, as you're dealing with some of the availability issues on various types of groceries, please do not, in frustration or anger, take it out on anybody. I got to say one other thing about this. There are these terrible reports about people who are ordering on Instacart and trying to lure a worker to do their shopping for them, listing a big tip. And then once they know the person's on the way to your home, zeroing out the tip or cutting it back. That is so uncool. Because think about that Instacart worker, that shipped worker, who is keeping you out of harm's way by doing the shopping for you, please be respectful to them because they are putting themselves potentially into harm's way so that you can have the supplies, the food you're looking for. So some basic human respect here and flexibility. Kim? All right, Jeremy says, inspired by so many heroes, I recently began chasing my own dream of becoming a firefighter slash paramedic. And I want to know if it's a good idea to transfer my $80,000 from my former employer's 401k to my new employer's 457B plan. I feel like I remember you saying 457B plans are not the greatest. Right. You don't want to transfer that money. You want to leave it in the 401k at your former employer particularly if it was a big employer that would likely have a low-cost plan. If you were with a um, smaller employer, the better thing to do with the old 401k money would be to move it into your own IRA and do that with one of the low-cost companies. I have a list of my favorite low-cost companies at Clark.com on my basic investing guide, and it would be really easy to move that money, um, maybe a little more difficult right now, but because of the number of transactions people are doing with their 401ks or IRAs, but it's not a difficult process. And thank you for your career change to serve others. Joel? Clark Ignazio wrote in and says, it turns out that scam artists had a website to sell surgical masks. My son sent a hundred bucks to purchase masks and paid with PayPal, but he never received them. And then he called PayPal and told them that the website was, and they told him that the website was closed down. So should he be filing an appeal through PayPal to get that money back? Yes, and I don't know how successful it will be, but that's the right course of action. And uh, this has been a terrible problem. There was even a, a plot busted where uh, conspirators were trying to rip off state governments with non-existent mass. So this has been a very hard thing. If you're looking for masks, there are a lot of people who are making them for people at very low costs and then posting them on things like uh, neighborhood Facebook groups, Nextdoor, any of a number of local community sites where you can buy 
face masks that have been crafted by others, and they vary in quality, but they seem to generally do the job if you're trying to assist yourself in proper social distancing. Kim? Vic says, hello, Clark. I would love to know the answer to what it means when the news says stocks went up 2,000 or down 2,000 points. I know the difference between the Dow and the S&P, but I'm really not sure what the true meaning of increase and decrease means to me. It only matters if you look at, like, as an example, if you went to CNBC.com, which is one of the easiest ones to see this with, if you go there, they will have for you at the top of the page each day, and you can look at investment markets around the world. Like, I'm looking right at this moment, the Dow Jones is making a 2.24% move, the S&P a 2.49% move. The NASDAQ, which is more technology-oriented and uh, potentially smaller stocks, 3.21% move. So you can look at uh, just this simple bar at CNBC, and if you see the percentage point move, that's information you can grab a hold of. Seeing the points you know, up this, down that, that doesn't give you any frame of reference. But when you see the percentage move, that's really the best. And my best barometer of the direction of the U.S. economy is look at the move each day in percents, if you're into this kind of thing, of the S&P 500, which is an indicator of the 500 largest publicly traded companies in the country. Joel? Clark Tana says, what's your take on the video conferencing service, Zoom? Zoom is great and potentially scary. Um, I have been on a number of Zoom meetings, and there was one that I was scheduled for the other day, and one of the people who was going to be a participant said, I'm not doing Zoom, too many security problems with it, too many breaches, and let's just do a conference call. And so conference call was not as effective as if we'd done a Zoom session but it speaks to the concern people have had. Um, Zoom has a, the CEO has apologized repeatedly for the problems they've had with breaches. There have been people who've been doing what is now called Zoom bombing, where they break into a, a Zoom session and they put up, um, uh, well, content that is not for a family show and or whatever they do that, that disrupts whatever event's going on. So Zoom has boomed, and so look at other alternatives. In my family, we are overwhelmingly an Apple family. Some of us are Android. So we use Google Duo, Google Duo that allows for smaller video sessions of, I think, eight people is the max on a Duo meeting, but it is a very, very sophisticated video tool for you to have a meeting. People who are Facebook, you can have a ton of people on a Facebook session. Uh, FaceTime only Apple is uh, two dozen or so people. And Google Hangouts, which is actually we use a commercial version of Google Hangouts for our digital meetings, holds up to 150 people. 
And a lot of them have free versions or we use a paid version for our commercial use, but they are alternatives to you using Zoom. Zoom is Zoom was not designed specifically to have problems. It just grew by exponential amounts and hackers have exploited weaknesses and that's why using one that's less in people's minds right now is likely to be a safer platform. Kim? Kelly says, I've been getting a lot of emails forwarded to me from family and friends in regards to gas stations giving breaks on purchasing gas to healthcare workers and first responders. Have you heard anything about this? I have, and I don't know yet what would be the most effective way to, for you to make sure that it's actually going to healthcare workers and first responders. So why don't we, this would be a good thing for us to do in our Clark Rave segment. Why don't we see if we can come up with a way, Kim, in the next day or two to give people a clear path to do so where they know it's actually going to happen. My pleasure. I'd be happy to work on that. And Joel, who do you have? Clark got one from Fernando. He says, my parents are 87 and 90 years old, and I want to know if funeral insurance is a good way, uh, a good thing to have in the event of their death. Is it something that's reliable, something that I should have? I don't like um, funeral policies. And first of all, you are obviously in your family blessed with long life that they are 87 and 90. Congratulations. Um, Funeral policies have premium costs that are outrageous compared to the benefit they pay for a funeral. And what is better to do is for you as a family to make sure everybody is aware of funeral and memorial societies. If you go to funerals.org, you'll be able to see how these work. Generally, you'll be able to cut the cost of a funeral by 75% in most places by being a member of your local nonprofit funeral and memorial society. And so rather than trying to insure the cost of a funeral with these very inefficient policies, it's much better for you to dramatically lower the cost of a funeral to a point where uh, generally you can afford by building up a small amount of savings to pay for that funeral. If you have a question for me, go to clark.com slash ask, post your question, and then producers Kim and Joel are alternating asking your questions this hour. And Kim, who do you have? Cynthia says, my daughter's wedding was called off due to the coronavirus. Many of the vendors would not refund any money. They only offered us to reschedule, so that's exactly what we did. Unfortunately, our photographer, who is paid in full, is not available on the new date that we have her scheduled for. She did the engagement photos, and we're very happy with that. But now we would really love a refund. We could use the money. You know, the fact that almost every wedding that I know of that was supposed to happen over the next couple of months has been rescheduled. It's something that people in the wedding business should consider flexing on. You know, in the case of this photographer, you want to use this photographer. They're just already booked for that date. It seems very reasonable 
that the photographer should, in this circumstance, make a refund. I mean, we're talking about a pandemic here. There is no requirement legally that that wedding photographer do so. But human decency would say that, in this case, they should, because it was not a cancel of a wedding. It was a change to another date. But if they don't want to do it and you can't appeal to their kinder self, then, unfortunately, you can't force them to give up that money. And, you know, Kim and Joel, I've been having a number of people ask me these questions about weddings. And the general rule has been what uh, you said, Cynthia? Yep. Cynthia has experienced that if the wedding is postponed versus canceled, people are moving the money to the postponed date. Um, If somebody cancels completely, they're not getting refunds. Joel? Yeah, that sounds like a good way to handle it. Um, Clark Jeff wrote in, he says, will forgiven SBA loans immediately become taxable income? That is a great question. So Congress dealt with that in the third stimulus law that included the PPPs and the new modified IDLE, and they are excluded from gross income, meaning that loans that are forgiven are not subject to tax at the federal level. Now, each state, depending on how they do their state income taxes, can have whatever procedure they want, and there are differences often in how federal taxes work and states. Some states strictly strictly treat your taxable burden based on what the feds do, deferring to those sections of the federal tax code, and others don't do that. But the big news and the most important tax bill is what you'd be subject to from the feds on a loan turning into a grant or being forgiven, you don't have to worry about the tax. The podcast normally would end here, but because of the unusual circumstances we're in, we have additional content that we recorded earlier today that I'd like you to have access to. And this will continue day by day as long as the events warrant. And one industry that has taken a really, really rough hit is one of our nation's largest industries, and that's the vehicle market. Um, Manufacturers have had to close most of their vehicle plants, but that really hasn't mattered yet in terms of inventory on hand at dealers because people just haven't been buying. People haven't felt safe going for test drives and A lot of car dealers, truth be told, had been so hostile to the modern way of selling a vehicle that they only use the Internet as a lead generation opportunity to try to tease people to come into the dealership. But dealers are pivoting hard with showrooms closed, but dealers pay what's known as a flooring charge. For every vehicle that sits on a dealer's new or used car lot, they're paying daily interest. They've got to get those vehicles moving. And so a number of dealers were already ready for selling electronically. Others 
who can't pivot fast enough, they're likely not going to make it through this tremendous slowdown in vehicle sales. But it is possible for you, if you have a vehicle that, as an example, I have a friend who has a lease vehicle, and his lease ends in two weeks. And he wanted a particular vehicle to replace it with that's not being made right now because of the factory shutting down. And he he called me, he said, what do I do? And I said, why don't you talk to the leasing company and see if they'll give you any kind of extension on turning in your lease. And they gave him an additional 30 days because they didn't want the vehicle back. And he was able to keep it another 30 days. And that buys him a little time, but then what? So the thing is, there's so many deals out there right now from dealers and with financing available from manufacturers that if you can flex on what you want to buy something that a dealer desperately needs to unload right now and you make that deal online, dealers are doing what's known as touchless delivery, the ones that have their act together, where they're basically copying how Carvana does its business model, that you shop around with different dealers for the model you want, you find one you want, the price is agreed, you do everything electronically over the dealer's platform, and then with the touchless delivery, the paperwork may well have already been signed electronically, and the keys and things like that are left for you in your driveway when they drop the vehicle off, and you may have to sign some kind of uh, receipt electronically that you've gotten it, but the key is the dealer moved a vehicle they needed to move. You got a great deal on a vehicle. If your job situation solid and it makes sense to buy a vehicle right now, you're able to get that deal. And the only thing you're missing in this whole process is the test drive. And other than that, the car buying process will never be the same as people get used to this. And it absolutely is the future about how dealers are going to work. And here's something else I wanted to talk about today. I want you to know that the mortgage market is really going through a continual series of shocks from what's happening with the economy as a result of coronavirus. And lenders don't know quite what to do. So what you need to know If you're in the midst of thinking, hey, with these ultra-low rates, I need to get a refi done, or you're one of the people who's proceeding with a home purchase, you need to know that lenders are going all different directions right now. And I can't think of any time in the 33 years that I've been doing this show that it matters more than it does right now to shop with more than one mortgage lender. Listen to this. The the nation's largest bank, Chase Bank, has put out a new policy that they won't even consider for a mortgage anyone with a credit score below 700 
and that when you're buying a home, you have to put down a down payment of at least 20%. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to eliminate almost all mortgage loan borrowers. They don't want to do business with you unless the risk to Chase Bank drops to near zero. Now, the reason I point this out is that they are an extreme case, but other lenders are going to watch this, and they may start modifying what they do, which is why it's going to be so important for you if you are going ahead with buying a home to shop around and know that credit unions now have become so influential in mortgage lending that you're much better off going to a local credit union that likely holds loans, what's known as in-portfolio for a lot of their loans, keeping them in-house as a smarter play because credit unions are not beholden to stockholders. They're owned by their members. In addition, going to a mortgage broker or an independent mortgage originator, like the kinds you see advertised on TV, are likely to be much better places as the big banks have become really not a good place to go for a mortgage as they tend to charge higher fees and a higher total cost of borrowing than the competitors. You know, the big banks used to be significant in mortgage lending. They're less so now because consumers ultimately gravitate to the better deals in the marketplace that are available from these other sources. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.